Thank you very much, Rabbi Kesselman. Um, just before we begin, we need the traditional sound check just to make sure you can all hear me. It's all good. Thank you. So Shavua Tov, a good Vach, a good Chodesh to everybody. And before we begin, um, I'd like to dedicate the learning to Eretz Yisrael, to the people of Eretz Yisrael, and in particularly to the IDF soldiers, that uh, the schus of our learning should stand with them and guard them and make them victorious and bring them back to their homes and their families safe and in peace. This is part two of a series of shiurim exploring the halachic status of digital currency, which means to say, currency which is not tangible, not gold, not cash, but rather uh, data which is stored and collected in which represents a financial value, whether it's our bank accounts, which are all digital, whether it's cryptocurrencies, whether it's stocks, shares, all sorts of financial entities which are not tangible, but are still legal tender. And in our last discussion, we dealt with the nature of kinyonim, of transactions, and if a transaction is considered final and complete when using digital currency, and our last discussion centered around the, the mindset of businessmen, the expectations of trade, and that really society can create bargaining instruments out of anything should they wish. Today, we're going to take a look at another section of halacha, which runs on very different principles to that of trade, kinyonim, acquisitions. And that is the subject of Yerusha, of inheritance, the laws of succession, whether it's possible to inherit digital currency or financial entities which are not tangible. Now, before we get into this discussion, we need to begin with an introduction and take a look at some of the halochas of Yerusha, of inheritance. Today's discussion is based on Shulchan Aruch, Choshen Mishpat, Simon Reish Ein Vov, Seif Hey, it is the last, uh, the last Seif of Simon Reish Ein Vov, which deals with the laws of Nachalois of inheritance. The Gemara states in Bova Basra, Davkuf Mem Zayin Amud Beis, in the name of Rav Nachman, that a Shchiv Mera, a Shchiv Mera is a person who is on their deathbed, but they are still of sound mind and body enough to be able to craft their last will and testament. And if a Shchiv Mera bequeaths various, uh, various assets to his next of kin, then those gifts 
are binding and the next of kin can claim those assets for themselves even without a document or even without a Maise Kinyan, any formal act of acquiring, because says the Gemara that a person in this position who is uh, getting his affairs in order does not need to make any physical acts of acquisition. His properties are transmitted verbally. And Rav Nachman deals with the case of a Shchiv who bequeaths not physical assets to his next of kin, but accommodation or consumption. The case is that a Shchiv who has property and wants to bequeath that property to his next of kin, but he does not use a phrase terminology which shows that he's giving away the property. He doesn't say, behold, I'm going to bequeath this property to my son, but rather he uses a strange phraseology here by saying, I'm going to bequeath the accommodation in this property to my son, as if the Shchiv Merah is retaining the physical property for himself, and he is merely allowing his next of kin to live in the property indefinitely. Alternatively, another another case that Rav Nachman presents, if a yeah, Shiv has a, an orchard of fruit trees, and instead of bequeathing the fruit trees themselves to his next of kin, he gives them the right to consume all of the fruit from that orchard indefinitely, in these two instances where the Shchiv has not actually given anything tangible to his next of kin, the Rav Nachman says that the will and the gift is not binding. And the reason is because the Shchiv has given away something She'en Boy Mamish. He has passed on a intangible and uh, property with no substance, nothing physical, but rather the rights of accommodation or the rights to consumption. That is a legal fiction. And therefore, when the Shchiv Merah passes away, his property is going to be inherited by his next of kin without any uh, specific dispensation for the one one of his heirs that he wanted to single out to inherit the living space of the property or the consumption of the fruit, because such a, an inheritance of intangibles is not binding. And therefore, the properties will just follow the path of succession as he passes away to the heirs to split equally. From this Gomorrah, the Sefer Ha'itur, one of the Rishonim, learns out that the laws of inheritance do not apply to anything which is intangible. There may be a legal right or there may be some uh, legal uh, uh, terms that are used to describe certain uh, rights or privileges to assets, 
but one cannot bequeath and one when one passes on one cannot leave over those uh, ethereal rights to the next of kin there has to be something concrete that the heirs are going to be receiving and that's the halacha the balaitra holds that everyone agrees on that point it's not only the balaitra but the Mordechai as well, also in Bova Basra, agrees with the Bala Itur and holds that one cannot pass on anything intangible to one's heirs. So that is the first sugya that we have from the Gomorrah, which shows that unless one can, uh, unless it's concrete or unless it is palpable, such an asset or such uh, liquidity cannot be passed on to one's next of kin. The second sugya that we have comes from the Mordechai in Masechta Shavuos. We have a concept called Toivas Hano'o, which means that when one gives a gift of charity, when one has separated monies and one has designated them to a tzedakah or to a cause, that the money is now earmarked and now in a way belongs to that charity. And one cannot just revoke and retract and decide that one is no longer going to give the monies. One has to see it through. And all that the owner of the money has, the donor has at that point in time, is the choice of which cause to give his money to. And that choice is called toivas hanoa. He has the right to, uh, really only the right of who he wants his money to benefit, but nothing more than that. And therefore the Mordechai says that if a donor has separated monies for charity and before the donor had a chance to give the money, he passed away, then his next of kin will automatically take over that, that sum of money as they will his entire estate. And if the next of kin decide, the heirs decide that they're going to change the charity and they're going to give the money to someone else, that the recipients or the would-be recipients cannot protest because Toivas Hanoa, this right of choice that the father had, is not something that he bequeaths to his next of kin. It's not a right that passes over to the next generation and that places a, uh, some sort of clamp or some sort of lien on the monies that he left behind. Not at all. It was merely a... Uh, a legal right that the father had, but that right expires as the father passes on. And so the next of kin can change their mind. They can choose who the charity will be. However, the next of kin cannot uh, redirect those funds back into the estate. Those funds were allocated for charity and they have to be dispersed to charity. So from here as well, the early German Achronim, the Maharik, Marie Cologne, and the Maharam Padvo of Italy, all learn that any right 
which is intangible, cannot be passed on to the next generation. It's not like physical assets which can be bequeathed. And therefore, toivas hano, a mere choice that the father had of disbursement, does not automatically pass on to his heirs. From these two places in the Rishonim, from Bava Basra regarding the Shchivmera, who is bequeathing accommodation and consumption, intangibles, and from the Mordechai in Shvuas that deals with Togos Hanor, the Rishonim derive that one cannot pass on through inheritance anything which is intangible. And that's what the Ramah concludes at the end of Choshen Mishpat Siman Reshain Vov, that unless there is something substantial, something concrete, one cannot pass that on to the next generation through inheritance. Now, with that introduction, we can now ask the question in earnest, is it possible then for somebody to bequeath digital currency, currency which is merely represented in data, in figures, in the banks of the, of the banking system today, a currency that is intangible, not concrete, what would definitely be classified as something sha'en boy mamash, something which lacks substance, can such currency then be bequeathed is it subject to the laws of inheritance? And the same then can be asked about stocks and shares. Unless, of course, there's, uh, there's, there's shares are involved physical property, but most of the time it's not the case. And cryptocurrencies as well. Would it be possible then to inherit? And if not, then what is to be done with digital currency? What is to be done with all of these intangibles? Are they now Hefka? Are they now ownerless? Will the state take over that money or that virtual money? And this is really the question of being able to inherit digital currency. So it took a bit of time. We needed to, to build it up a bit. But the, the criteria for inheritance are not the same as the criteria for trade. For as we mentioned, trade depends on smichas das, on how uh, society treat their various instruments of bargaining. But when it comes to Yerusha, the laws of inheritance, the Gomorrahs and the Poiskim are quite clear that any entity which is not physical, not tangible, is not subject to inheritance. And therefore, what are we to do with our digital currencies or any other financial entity that is not palpable and tangible. While we're on the subject, let's take a look at another facet of the laws of inheritance. While while we are here in this uh, in this matter, and that is the law of the firstborn. The firstborn. The Torah gives double the portion of the property of the assets too. A Bechor says the Torah receives double. And 
just to give a bit of an introduction here as well, we're going to go to another Simon, Simon Reish Ayin Ches, which is the law of the, the firstborn. The Torah says that on the day that the father is arranging his affairs, he can choose He can give to his firstborn son of whatever property he owns. And from this pasuk, the Gomorrah of Basra, Davkufchov Dalad, derives that the father gives his firstborn son double the share of all of the other heirs, but that the firstborn does not inherit more than his other brothers. Rather, it is considered, this double portion is considered a gift. For the Torah uses the word matona, a gift, loses loy pishnaim, the father gives as a gift, double, of whatever is in his possession when the father passes away. Now, this is significant. It's, a, it's, a, it's important that we know that the firstborn does not inherit a double portion, but he is given that double portion out of the estate. Because one of the nafkaminas, one of the uh, significant differences of a gift as opposed to inheritance is that the Bechor can only inherit property that belongs to the father at the time of the father's passing, what is called muhzak, what the father has already in his possession. However, property which is called ra'ui, property which the father does not own at the time of his passing, or monies that the father does not own, but monies that are owing to the father, and eventually will be paid to the father, those monies and those assets are not part of what the Bechor, what the firstborn is entitled to. Whereas if the Bechor, if the firstborn was inheriting, then he would inherit whatever was due to the father, but not when the father is giving him a gift as his double share. The gift that the father can give is only muhzak, only property that the father has in his possession at the time of passing. And so the Bechor cannot receive double of the debts that are outstanding and owing to a father. The Bechor, the firstborn, does not receive double of a, an improvement to the father's assets posthumously. The Bechor does not receive double of any rentals that are owed to the father on the father's various uh, 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 properties. All of these payments that are made posthumously to the father's estate are called ra'ui, and the father never had them when he passed, and therefore the Bechor does not receive double. So with this in mind, let us ask the question now, when it comes to the Bechor, the firstborn, what about digital currency? What if, the, if the father has left money in a bank account and has left uh, financial entities which are intangible, 
or has left cryptocurrency, is the Bechoy, is the firstborn entitled to double his share from these digital entities? Or in the same way, as the Bechoy, the firstborn does not receive double from Raui, from property that is owing or assets that are owing to the father, perhaps the Bechoy doesn't receive double of any assets which are intangible and which are merely owing to the father, stocks that need to be converted into cash or digital currency that needs to be converted into cash, maybe the Bukhar does not receive double of that or are the laws different when it comes to the firstborn because the firstborn receives a, a gift from the father's estate, not a, an inheritance. And what we've discussed earlier on from the Gomorrah Baba Basra with the Shchivmira and the case of the of the Toivas uh, Hanor was only regarding the laws of inheritance. When it comes to inheriting, one cannot receive items that are intangible, but maybe the Bechor is different because the Bechor, the firstborn, is not inheriting, he's receiving a gift. And maybe gifts are subject to the laws of trade, like we discussed in our previous year, that whatever the giver wants to give and the recipient wants to receive is considered legal and binding. So that's our second question that we need to address today. Does the Bechoy receive double of digital currency as a gift or are there still limitations, just like there are for inheritance when it comes to intangibles and the, uh, the passing over of those intangibles? So let's provide an explanation. The following is based on a tshuva from the Shoyal Umeshev. The Shoyal Umeshev was Rav Shaul Natanzon. He was the Rav of the city of Lov in Poland. And he lived in the mid 1800s. And in the, the following tshuva, he addresses the question of inheriting a debt. We find in the Gomorrah and we find in the Halacha, it's a given that when a person is owed money by various creditors, or by various debtors, excuse me, and he passes away, then the debtors are obligated to pay those debts to the next of kin. And so the heirs can claim on their father's behalf and they can receive the monies that are outstanding that the father had lent or that was owed to the money in his lifetime. So a choiv, a debt, is something which can be inherited. And the question is, how is it possible to inherit a debt or the right to claim a debt? Surely that legal right is intangible. 
There's no mamoshes to it. A debt or any legal right is not actual money. It's not concrete. It's not assets. And as we have discussed now from the Gomorrah about the Shchiv Merah, the Toivas Hanor as well, it should be that the heirs are not entitled to take over their father's debts and collect those debts after the father's passing. For how is a debt inherited? It is something that ain't by mamish. And this question is dealt with by the Shoyal Umeshev, Barashol Natanzon, and he answers as follows. When a person borrows money, or when a person goes into debt, then the halacha is that they have undertaken to pay back that debt. Even if it means paying back the next of kin, if the one who lent the money is no longer available or no longer around. And in a promissory note, in halacha, if we take a look at uh, at the Ksuva, if we read our Ksuva, we will notice that there's a clause that states that the husband indebts himself to pay his wife in the event of an annulment of marriage, and he will pay her even from the shirt of his back, even Yarsoi from my heirs. Basar Chayai, after my lifetime, after I pass, there is a clause in the Ksuva and there is a clause in every document, every promissory note, where the debtor undertakes to pay back his creditor. And if the creditor is no longer alive, he undertakes to pay back the creditor's next of kin. And in the same vein, if the debtor himself passes away with debts attached to his properties, then it is up to his next of kin to pay the debts of the properties to the creditors, outstanding debts to their late father's creditors. So we find that the obligations of paying back debts are not inherited. There's no a mechanism by which a debt can be passed from one generation to another, but rather the mechanism of payment of debts posthumously is that the one who borrowed the money, who indebted themselves, undertook at the time to pay back the money, even if it means someone else has to pay their money back for them. And the same would work for the creditor's side, that if someone owes the creditor money, then even after the creditor passes away, his next of kin can take over that debt and they can demand the money back since debtors do indebt themselves to paying back the next of kin. And in this way, the Shoyal Umeshev holds that even if a, uh, a promissory note or even if a transaction, a debt transaction 
does not state openly that the debtor is going to pay back the creditor's heirs in the event that the creditor passes away, it is tacitly accepted, it is understood and self-evident in any type of transaction where one takes on debt because nobody in their right mind would give away money and would convert a debt agreement into a free gift just because of the demise of the creditor. Anyone who is, play, who's, who's, uh, investing money expects a return on that money, even if that return has to be advanced to a different generation of, uh, of heir in that family. So after answering this question of how is a debt inherited, is a debt not a, an intangible entity? The Shola Meshu's answer is that a debt is not inherited. When someone owes someone else money, they're obligated to pay that money back, even if it means paying back the next of kin, the heirs of the one who gave the money, because there is a moral and a personal obligation to make sure that that money gets received eventually by the one or the family of the one who advanced that money. So where this leaves us is with a new perspective on how we would view digital currency and how we would view banking. If we think about it, when one deposits money in the bank, the bank becomes obligated to pay us out that money in some form or another. Going back to uh, banking, the history of banking in the 1700s, which we mentioned in the previous discussion, that at one point, the banks would hold actual gold and silver, and the banks would release that gold and silver to anyone who would present a banknote, a permission slip, if you will, to receive actual, uh, actual currency. And until that point, the banks would keep the money and they would invest the money and the, the money would circulate back into the banks until such time as the client would demand their money at which point the bank had to uh, had to release liquidity of gold, silver, or coinage as was. And in truth, the um, I may be uh, simplifying this a lot more, but in truth, all banks provide currency to their clients as an obligation, as a debt obligation, that when one entrusts money to a banking institution, they become obligated to provide that money to the one who invested with them or to the next of kin. And so the halacha would view a bank as 
a glorified debtor. So in some ways, the banks are our creditors. They, have, uh, they may have mortgages, liens on our properties. But in terms of the arrangement in which the banks provide us, and especially if we want to, to, to convert digital currency into actual physical currency, where the banks have a legal obligation to pay us back, so to speak, or to provide us with actual currency should we want it, a bank in halocha would be viewed as a glorified debtor, as a balchoiv, someone owing a creditor. And with this in mind, we can now come back to address inheriting digital currency and how the bachoir, how the firstborn would be judged when it comes to the digital currency and whether he receives double share of that currency. Even though the monies that the bank has are intangible and nothing more than symbolic figures of what we're entitled to, of what the buying power is with our bank, nonetheless, the bank as an institution is indebted legally, halachically as well, to pay, pay out any of the monies that are owing, very similar to a bank check that the bank needs to honor the instructions of the check holder. And by the same token, then digital currency would also be the bank's obligation to provide the holder, the account holder, and their next of kin, just as much as a borrower of money would be obligated to pay his creditor or the creditor's next of kin. And therefore, to answer the question, is it possible to inherit digital currency? No, but it is definitely possible to demand that the banks provide the value of what they owed the, the, uh, the one who passed away, the account holder, for their next of kin to be able to demand that sum which is owing to the family. And as a creditor, the next of kin can, in a way, inherit digital currency, inherit what the banks owe them. And when it comes to other financial entities, or when it comes to cryptocurrency, here I'm a little bit out of my depth. I'm not, I'm not quite uh, versed, well, well enough versed in the subject. Uh, maybe someone... In, uh, who's, 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 who's listening would be able to fill in the gaps for us. Um, if you have any idea of how these, these entities would work, but I do think that uh, they would also be seen as a some type of debt, although I don't know if cryptocurrencies have some sort of uh, regulating body of people that would be considered as actual uh, debtors that's uh, that's uh, some feedback which I would be interested to hear from you if you if you know. But when it comes to our standard bank accounts, those amounts are possible to bequeath to another generation, not as an inheritance, but as a debt 
an outstanding date. And that would bring us now to answer the second question of the Bechoy, the firstborn. Would the firstborn be able to claim double the share of the his late father's bank account? And the answer is that a bank account may be a debt, but given the nature of banking, and given that the digital currency is only a representation of monies that the bank is still going to generate before converting into actual cash, into liquidity, that digital currency in that state is at most considered ra'ui. It is only considered fitting to give to the bukhoi but there was nothing tangible in the father's possession at the time that he passed away. And therefore, the firstborn cannot claim double the portion from digital currency. Now, although this question is, is, is quite new and contemporary, the question of a Bechoyer inheriting from banks, from a bank account, does go back several centuries. One of the first poiskim to deal with this was the Ginas Verodim. The Ginas Verodim was the Rov of Cairo in the mid 1700s. And he maintained that because banks, bank accounts are not the same as a safety deposit box, where whatever possessions are in the safety deposit box have merely been left there for, serve, for, for safekeeping, a bank account allows the bank to turn over the money and to reinvest that money. And therefore, whatever monies were deposited in the account are more like a loan. One cannot expect the same money to be returned to the account holder. It will be different money or it will be a, uh, a, a representation of, of money for the account holder to be able to cash in somewhere else. And so we find already in the achronim whom, that a Bechoyer, a firstborn, cannot inherit anything from the father's bank account because that money is Raui. It is only fitting to eventually come into the hands of the heirs of the next of kin. But that money was not tangible and was not in their father's possession at the time of the father's demise. And all of the Achronim agree with the Ginas Varadim. We have the Chidor. Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai, also of the early 1800s, who agrees with the Ginas Varodim. And so the Bechoyer, the firstborn, would not be able to claim double the share from a father's bank account, even if it were tangible money and it weren't digital currency. And so all the more so when it comes to digital currency, which is not even real, uh, real tender, legal tender, it is merely a representation of the bank's obligation to pay out their clients in the event of, uh, of the clients demanding liquidity. And so in the final analysis, to answer the question, when it comes to inheriting, can one inherit a bank account, the sum in the bank account? Do the heirs split that sum as they would the rest of the father's real estate, the 
real property, uh, uh, be it fixed or immovables or movable property? And the answer is that the next of kin will be able to split whatever was in the father's bank account, but not as inheritance, not as actual heirs through the, the mechanism of Yerusha, but rather as the creditors who claim on behalf of their father what the father could have claimed from the bank. When it comes to the Bechor, the firstborn, since the monies within the bank account are merely ra'ui, they're fitting, but they're not actual monies of the father when he passed on, so the Bechor, the firstborn, cannot claim a double share of those monies. In order for the Bechor to have his double share, the father would have needed to draw that money out, convert it, that digital currency into cash or some sort of uh, physical, tangible assets in order for the Bechor to receive double of that. So this is our discussion on digital currency and the laws of inheritance. Um, in shiurim, the idea, as I'm not, I'm not going to paskin or to give the, uh, the, the final word on the matter, but rather to introduce the various principles that go along with the Shilas, with these issues, it's more of an exploration into the laws that, uh, that govern our commerce and trade, and maybe to spark a little bit of curiosity, or maybe even to spark a little bit of uh, due diligence, so as when the time comes that matters should never uh, escalate into places like Bate Dinim or courts, but rather there should be a uh, full understanding of what's to come and being able to prepare adequately to allow for brocha, for blessing, to find its way into one's finances, into one's life, and to spill over into the lives of others. So I thank you again. A good voch, shavua tov, a good chodesh to everyone. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to sharing many more Torah classes, Torah time together. And may we merit to hear good news, good news from all of our families and particularly good news from Israel and continued success and safety for our soldiers. Thank you very much and wishing you a good month, a successful month ahead.